For what do I have if I don't have you, Jesus? What in this life could mean anymore? You are my rock. You are my glory. Hi and welcome to the Rock Podcast. Here in Ephesians chapter 5, the Apostle Paul gives instructions for believers regarding relationships. First up, the Christian wife and her obligation to her husband. Let's join Pastor Ross now with a message entitled, Wives Submit to Your Husbands. You will know that we are picking up in Ephesians chapter 5, where we left off in Ephesians chapter 5, somewhere around verse 22. That's what we do. We work our way through the scriptures verse by verse so you always know where we're going to be. And today it is halfway down the middle of chapter five of the book of Ephesians. Let's ask the Lord for his blessing. Now, Heavenly Father, as we go to this very famous passage about marriage relationships and you have instruction for the wives and you have instruction for the husbands and Together, Father, that information is filled with enriching insights, invaluable uh, in teaching on how we could make marriage everything you want it to be, nurturing and loving and uh, w- without stress, um, but a true um, fulfillment of our hearts and all of our longings and And we just ask for your Holy Spirit to help us understand these truths and and moreover, put them into practice so that we can enjoy the blessing of marriage. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, as you can imagine, I was reading some interesting stats about weddings and marriage uh, this week as I was preparing uh, did you know that there are 6,200 weddings that are going to take place today and every day in the United States, totaling about 2.3 million couples will get married uh, in a year's time in the USA. The average age of the bride is 25. The average age of the groom is 26.9. Oh. <laughs> And uh, (laughs) the average amount of uh, the time that we are engaged in this country is around 14 months. And the most popular month, uh, I'll let you guess, for weddings is the month of? And what's the second? No, it's October. How many of you got married in June? How many of you? Not in a a typical congregation, Uh, but I already found that out. First service. (laughs) And how many of you got married in October? How many of you are married in in the building? (laughs) Awesome. The number of bridesmaids and groomsmen are an average 4.5. How many of you had a a 0.5 guy? (laughs) Sorry. How many had you? Four or five? In your, yeah, nope, still. We're not hitting it, folks. The average amount of people... uh, Invited is 178, and they br- they bring a lot of gifts. But interesting, the top 25 uh, most asked for registry items all have to do with the kitchen. Isn't that amazing? How many of you got a blender? 
come on. Or a food processor or, or something for the kitchen, please. All right, there we go, folks. Okay, the average budget for a wedding in the United States of America is $20,000. And all the dads gasped. And moms and everybody, because it used to be just one guy's uh, dilemma, and now it's just about everybody involved. Amen? Uh, and then we have uh, the honeymoon place, you know, uh, 99% of us take one. And uh, the most uh, common place, most popular place for a honeymoon, if you're an American, is Hawaii. Hawaii. You nailed that one. The second most popular place? The <laughs> Texas? <laughs> Oh, that's right. That's right. I forgot about that one. Yeah, down to those ranches. Yeah. No, the Caribbean. That would be it there. Now, uh, yeah, now you would think all that planning, all that excitement, all that happiness, all that expense, you know, would sort of kind of guarantee. Uh, happily ever after, but unfortunately, somewhere after the honeymoon, uh, there could be some trouble in paradise. Now, a woman was leading a conference on marriage, a, a ladies' uh, event, and how to be a better wife. And she, uh, the facilitator, asked the ladies just right from the start, how many of you gals sometimes feel a need to mother your husband? Well, a lady in the second row just kind of sheepishly looked around like, mm, that's true of me, and she raised her hand hesitantly, and the facilitator said, now, so why do you think it is that you want to mother him? And she goes, oh, I, I, I don't want to mother him. I thought you said smother him. Laughter <laughs> so, uh, Things don't always go so well all the time, and we have our moments, and uh, every married couple said, oh, good, so you're happier, happier than I realized. All right. In America, the gen in our general population, every 36 seconds, somebody gets divorced. Uh, 2,400 divorces per day, uh, 16,800 divorces per week. That gives a grand total of 876,000 divorces a year in the good old USA. Now, the average length of a marriage that ends in divorce uh, goes eight years, sadly. Now, good news for people of faith. Uh, the stats for Christians are more hopeful than that. Here's a quote from an article on the subject. W. Bradford Wilcox, a leading sociologist at the University of Virginia and the director of the National Marriage Project, from his analysis, uh, concludes that, quote, active conservative evangelicals, that's us, uh, who regularly attend church are 40% less likely to divorce compared to those who do not identify with the Christian faith in any way. He goes on to uh, cite an interesting fact. He says, 53% of very happy couples agree with the statement, God is at the center of our marriage, compared to 7% of struggling couples. 
So he goes on to conclude the article with a, a sentence or two. He says, uh, the divorce rates of Christian believers, despite what you may have heard, are not identical to the general population, not even close. Being committed, faithful believers makes a measurable difference in marriage. And of course that makes sense because if you're a good Christian, you're going to be a good spouse. It really makes sense. And what I, the other thing that makes sense is, is that if God is the center of a Christian's life, and you put two of those Christians together, then the default mechanism there is obviously going to be a marriage that at the center is God, because the two of them have God as the center of their individual lives. And so we like to take the verse from Ecclesiastes, perhaps it was at your wedding, uh, where it says, a cord of three strands is not easily or quickly broken. And we like to think of that third strand in the cord of the rope as God for, for people of faith. And, and, and the wife is a, is a strand and the husband is a strand, but entwined together by the relationship of the Lord. But still it's hard. Still there are frayed edges and um, unraveling of sorts because it's really hard to take two people, two different people, Two different genders, and, and we are very different in our genders. Amen? Amen? This isn't in my notes. Newsflash. But take a look at our bathrooms at church just to show you how different we are. I don't know. Fellas, just let me tell you. Our bathroom just looks like a bathroom. As it should. <laughs> The ladies' bathrooms. Don't go in. Just take my word for it. <laughs> the ladies' restrooms look like hotel lounges. They, they have... And, and, and a shout-out to a couple in the congregation who just remodeled, gave it a facelift, one of the ugly bathrooms, because we can't have an ugly bathroom for the ladies. And, and it's got teapots in there. I saw a teapot with my own eyes. All right? It's beautiful, everything's shiny, and there's chocolates, and uh, candies, and all kinds of things, and it smells pretty in there, and there are flowers, and all kinds of paintings, and it's nice, but the big, the clencher of all things is um, there's a dress hanging like it's like a wardrobe, because it looks like a, a, a bedroom or a lobby. But there's a, a lady's dress that matches, of course, the paint on the wall. Which, and all the ladies are like, oh, that's cute. But an usher saw it in the pre-morning hours, and the usher said, good Lord, there's a woman who left her clothes in the bathroom. <laughs> <laughs> ladies, we don't understand you. We, we love you, but we don't get you all the time. And I know you don't get us, but just look at our bathroom. That's a bathroom. Now, where was I? Not to worry. So, life is hard. You take two people so different and, and broken because in, in our faith, we know that we are sinners, you know. And, and so you take two broken sinners and you put them together, different backgrounds, different upbringings, different parenting, different everything, different likes, different values, different tastes. And you say, now the two shall become one. That could be a recipe for disaster. 
right? But no, we have the grace of God, and because it's the design of God that he brings us together for complementary purposes. And so what we're lacking, the wife comes alongside. I had several things I could say there, <laughs> and I just thought them through, and I said, we're in the book of Proverbs. I should be wise. So... Where we're lacking, the wife supplies. And where she's lacking, the husband supplies. And, 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 and when we accept that and do it with God's grace within scriptural boundaries, it can be a beautiful thing. But if it's not done that way, well, you all know what happens. Smothering. <laughs> and, and, and so marriage, it is said, is like twirling a baton or doing a backflip or eating with chopsticks or speaking another language. It looks really easy until you try to do it. And so, not to worry, the Lord, the designer of marriage, uh, has given us instructions in his word how he intends it to work best because he is a good, good father and he came to give us joy and life. And so he says, I know what you need, Adam, and that's an Eve, and I know what you need, Eve, and that's an Adam, but you have to do it my way or it will never work. And even when we do it his way, it's hard still. So let's dive in, take a look at this famous, or should I say infamous passage, what God expects uh, from Christian uh, marriages. And it starts out with the wives. Wives, submit to your husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife as Christ is the head of the church, his body of which he is the savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit to their husbands in everything. Now for the husbands. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word and to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. In the same way, husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. Who, he who loves his wife loves himself. After all, no one ever hated his own body, but he feeds and cares for it, just as Christ does the church. For we are members of his body. Now, Genesis chapter 2. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This is a profound mystery, but here I'm talking about Christ and the church. However, each one of you also must love his wife as he loves himself, and the wife must respect and come under her husband. So we're going to park there. We're going to consider this. Now, the first thing I noticed, kind of funny, you know, to me, ladies, I don't know, did you notice? The Lord's all, you know, ladies, this is what I need you to do. Here's why. Done. Gentlemen, (laughs) three times the verses for the guys. Now, gentlemen, let me explain this to you slowly, okay? (laughs) Read my lips, okay? I want you to love your wives. Okay, and so he goes through it. Uh, Listen, guys, I've got to create an atmosphere here friendly to our ladies here, all right? So I'm going to have to slap you around a little bit, Uh, okay? Me around too, and so everybody feels mutually uh, and equally slapped. (laughs) 
All right, so here we go. Well, now, now I fully intended to get to both uh, species, husbands and wives, today, uh, but uh, I'm only going to talk about what the instruction is to the wife. Um, no. And let me assure you, sir, you will be here next Sunday. Amen? Lenita? Thank you. Now, there is, maybe that is a a reason, a motivator for me to do this this way, because I will know that every man will be here next Sunday (laughs) on time and early, maybe for both services. (laughs) All right, so, uh, you, you know, my intent, of course, but there's a lot to say there, so let's isolate those Verses first this week to the wives, and then next week to the husbands. And you can't really understand them uh, unless you understand both. We both have a role. And when the husband is loving his wife as Christ loved the church, which meant he went to the cross for her, putting her first, her needs, not his own, all the way to death, she finds it a little bit more easier to come under and respect a man who loves her in that way. And so it's very important to keep that in mind as we go through this passage. Uh, That said, we both have roles and duties from the Lord. And so we're going to take a look at that uh, this morning. Now, I call this infamous verse uh, because it's been labeled by some to be provocative because it has a word in there, starts with the letter S, uh, that generates some kind of controversy, and that word is submit. Uh, And now, uh, and I say provocative because the word uh, provocative means invoking a strong reaction of the negative sort. And so there are three reasons why um, this is a provocative verse. Number one, the whole idea of authority positions and subjecting ourselves to authority in general in the world is not a popular idea. There's been a lot of abuse. Uh, that Even without the abuse, it's just not a natural inclination of the human heart. And so we're fighting that. Uh, the second reason it's infamous is because there's a wide spread misunderstanding about the biblical concept of submission and what actually is being asked of the wife and what is not. So when people misunderstand, twist, and uh, pervert the true meaning of the scripture, then then you don't even have uh, an equal level playing field uh, to have a dialogue. And thirdly, Uh, The third reason is there's been undeniable abuse and oppression to our wonderful women, uh, not just in these days, but (laughs) since the dawn of time. And really, women have suffered miserably in the so-called name of Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 22. Uh, so, So, it's a loaded minefield hidden, and I pity the man who carelessly walks through this minefield that's gloated with, with um, gunpowder, carelessly tripping through that verse with a match. <laughs> you better approach this thing carefully. Amen? And that's why everyone's praying for me right now, right? <laughs> Two great mistakes to make with a controversial 
passage of scripture. One is to try to explain it away completely. And unfortunately, I've seen that happen. By the end of the message, uh, the verse goes away and it doesn't mean anything. And you know, uh, just like what's popular today to do with God's judgment or holiness issues or uh, God's intention with human sexuality. There's so much pressure on this poor guy who's ever in this pulpit to explain away and make everybody happy that the entire verse goes away. And so at this church, we can't do that. We're just going to look at it and and try to do it um, accurately and with some sensitivity. The other uh, great mistake would be to take a hard, wooden, uh, inflexible, arrogant, and without sensitivity approach to say something, and I've been in those services, where I'm offended. The, The guy, you know, I'm sitting there, and I know this is true, but how you present it, so important, you know. There it is, ladies, it says, you know, there it is. Get over it. You know, that guy does not value his life. Hell hath no fury like a woman who had to sit through that, amen? (laughs) And so for those very reasons, we are, you know what I just come up with. When we hit a passage like this, I think it's only right to ask Pastor Jim to come on up and and (laughs) what better training, folks, right? No. No, no, no. I had a pastor back in my past. He'd always do that. And I always thought he was serious. And I just about had a heart attack. But he never went through with it. And so I won't either. So actually, here's the text. Let's in love lay our feelings aside and try to understand what the Lord is trying to say. And I think with the Holy Spirit, I think he can help us do that. Let's start with the context for the remarks. Ephesians chapter 1, 2, and 3 tell us all about the wonderful things God has done on our behalf, who God is and what he's done. Chapters 4, 5, and 6 teach us about our behavioral response in light of all the love and the wonders of God's grace and what he, who he is and what he's done on our behalf, this is how we should walk worthy of that, chapters four, five, and six. So we're in chapters five, and he's telling us, he's been telling us, hey, you've gone from darkness to light. You got born again. You used to be in the world, unbelievers, without God, without hope in this life, and now you've been born again. Here's how you should be living. You know, you got to stop lying and tell the truth. You got to stop being immoral with everybody else and you start to exercise moral purity, self-control, and shoot for moral excellence. Well, now he's come down to specifics, to relationships in which a Christian will inevitably find themselves in. Number one, a marriage. So he's going to say, here's some instruction to to both sides of your relationship, to the wives, to the husbands. So he's in the home now. Next, in chapter six, he's gonna go parents and children, and he's gonna have a word for parents, moms and dads, and then he's gonna have a word for children. And then he's gonna go to the workplace. He's gonna go to uh, bosses and employees, and he's gonna have a word for Christian bosses and Christian employees, all right? And so that's where we find ourselves. And he's up first in the home, Christian behavior that's going to make it productive and effective. And he's going to start first with the wife, ladies first. Why does he start with the wife? 
duh, because the wife has all the power in the marriage, okay? Oh, oh do I need to explain that myself here? Do you know how much influence you have on making that a happy marriage or, or not? Do you, I mean, come on, even Solomon, King Solomon said it best. You know, really, when mama not happy, nobody happy, all right? But what, what, what he said was, and the Holy Spirit is speaking through Solomon. The Holy Spirit says, husbands, it would be better for you to live in the middle of a desert or in the corner of a little attic than to share a home with an unhappy wife. That is the teaching of the scriptures. Okay, the, listen, the husband is called the head of the family, but everybody knows the wife is the neck that causes it to turn this way <laughs> and that way. All right, so we got that. So God knows that. He's going to say, ladies, let me talk to you first here. He's going to say, Ladies, I have a request of you. I've given your husbands a task to put you first all the way to death, right? And so what I want you to do is, as he's doing that, I want you to uh, joyfully and voluntarily come, come under his direction, generally speaking, and, and, and uh, receive the benefit of having him in that responsible task to take care of you. Now, I think to look at the husband's assignment first is pretty important. You know, he's there to oversee, uh, protect, and guide, and provide for God's purposes in the marriage and for her best interests, not his own. And so uh, he's given that authority. And he's given a lot of authority in this world. In fact, you can't go anywhere, not one square inch of this earth or heaven, and not find a flow of authority structures. And every single day, wherever you are, you are either exercising a, a delegated authority or you're coming under subjection. And it doesn't matter where you are. Just pick one place in your head. You could be in the sky in a plane. There's authority there. There's a number one leader on that plane. There are co-leaders. There are leaders under him. Right, But there's a flow of authority everywhere, on earth, down below in the subways. And as I said, the only place there is no flow of delegated authority and a call to subjection is hell. That's the only place. Every other square inch of this earth and universe it has delegated of positions of authority. And why? For the good and structure and management and order of humanity and for the good of those who are under the care of responsible authority. Let me show it to you this way in, in Romans chapter 13. Because we, this is general authority and talking about government. But general authority structures are named. Let everyone, that's a big word, be submissive, subject to the governing authorities. For there is no authority except that which God has established the authorities, and now you can think of broad, wherever they are, that exist have been established by God. Consequently, whoever rebels against the authority is rebelling against what God has instituted, and those who do so will bring judgment on themselves. For leaders, but people who exercise authority hold no terror for those who are doing the right thing. But for those who do wrong, do you want to be free from fear of the one in authority? 
Then do what is right, and you'll be commended. Here's the key. For the one in authority is God's servant for your good. So if we take some of these ideas, we know that no matter who we are, we must respect authority structures that God has given authority. That all authority, listen to me, all authority, wherever you find it, the structure is from God. He, he's not validating the person in the position or their heart or how they're exercising that authority. He's just saying every single structure in, in the entire world, it was his idea. And it's his idea. It comes from God. And it's, look at the verse four, for good, for the benefit, for the well-being, for the order of life. Life in this world has an order. Kings were to administrate to bring justice. Um, governments, militaries, police, everybody in that realm, they protect citizens, they maintain order, they ensure the welfare of the general public. We have managers and supervisors who are supposed to in, enforce policies for the good invested in, interests of the company. And so they're not there just to boss everybody around and make everybody miserable. Uh, ideally, they're there to serve the good interests of that company. And, and so it's everywhere. Teachers have authority in the classroom to, for, to create a conducive environment so that there can be some education going on. And pastors, the same thing. They're given a job. They have some spiritual authority within the structure of a church to manage the affairs and to direct it according to uh, the scriptures. And so the thing about who fills those authority positions is the character that God requires is humility from Christians. He says, you are not in that position to lord it over anybody. And he, over and over again, Jesus says, that's how they are in the world. They love to climb the ladder so that they can boss people around and manipulate them and, and be brutal about it and use their authority uh, to get what they want. He says, not so with you. You will be humble. You will come along and serve. You will wash dirty feet. You will humble yourself, come alongside, and you will be subject to, there's wiggle room in there for you to apologize, for you to listen and to reverse a decision. So we're not to be those authority structures who abuse their power, but to use their, their delegated power to serve in humility and love and in keeping with all of God's commands. And so that goes for anybody in any kind of authority, including uh, the husband of the wife. And, uh, you know, it just, just, and here's the deal. <laughs> Wives were created to help us. You know, he said, Adam, you know, I'm going to take a part of you and I'm going to give you somebody who's going to bless you, come alongside and, and help you. Now, any man who doesn't take the input and the help of his wife is, is, is not very wise. Because this is not the case of saying uh, to the guy, the husband just makes decisions and he leads and the wife says nothing. That, no, it's about a collaborative partnership because he, he made her to be this azar in the Hebrew. Is, I will make you a helper 
Azar in the Hebrew. In the Psalms, it says, the Lord is my Azar and my Savior. He is my Azar and my shield. You see, women, you know, the world will tell you, oh, you know, he made him a helpmate. You know, listen, he made him a savior of the same word that's used to describe God himself. And men know, men know, if you married a good woman, man, you, you're getting saved constantly out of all kinds of predicaments. Amen? Uh, amen, men? I, one more time, I'll give you a third chance because I know it's still morning. Your wife saves you out of all kinds of predicaments. Amen? Amen. Thank you. Finally, three times. (laughs) Now, listen. There's so many examples of this. Well, how does she save us? She saves us because she has Holy Spirit radar. All right? They They are equipped with this thing called intuition. We are linear and logic driven for the most part. Okay? Give us a task. Ladies, if you want your husband to do something, go one, two, and three. Just tell him what you want, you know? Tell him, I want you to say I love you on Monday, Tuesday at three o'clock, you know? And we'll do it, okay? Uh, We just need a list and just make it nice like that. Now, (laughs) ladies, ladies have this radar. It started with my mother, and she's a female. And (laughs) she made sauce on Sundays. Every Sunday that I can remember, it was spaghetti and meatballs. And she put on a sauce in a big pan, and it was delicious. Here was the problem. The kids, the sibs and I, we'd go through the the kitchen with the, the Italian bread would be out right there. We'd rip off a hunk of it and dip it in the pot of the sauce. And some of it would, would remain in the sauce. And she'd find it later. And she goes, what's the spread doing in here? And we're oh, nothing. You know? And so she's like, do not put the bread in the sauce, right? So our job on Sunday mornings, get in the kitchen, get the sauce, get out, right? So without mom finding out. My mother could be upstairs in the bathroom, blow drying her hair downstairs in a kitchen and I hear get out of the kitchen (laughs) well I'm not in the kitchen (laughs) what is that they have this little scope all over all over they know everything they always know everything my wife will say what's wrong with you I'll go nothing she goes honey come on what's wrong I said nothing there's nothing wrong with me honey Okay. (laughs) She knows that there's no hiding anything from women. It's a God-given gift. So husbands, after collaborating with the most precious gift in the world that God gave you something to your eyes that cannot see, I cannot tell you how many times I come home and we have a joke about it and I'm going to tell you how I say it. I don't mean it to sound disrespectful, but I've said it for 30 years. And what I mean by it, (laughs) well, I'll just tell you what I say. Honey, I got something. I got something here. Sit down, sit down. Get your Holy Ghost on, you know? So (laughs) I I call, just put your Holy Spirit antenna up. 
because I'm going to unfold something to you that's difficult for me. I got kind of a yes and a no and a maybe. and ah. So I sit down and I say, Barb, get, do, do your thing. And I, I can almost see it. <laughs> you know, she's doing this thing. <laughs> I got to entertain you, all right? That's part of my job. And lo and behold, she'll say something and I'll go, oh, exactly. That's what I thought. But I, I just needed to, oh, you know, there's not a thing that I wouldn't share with my best friend. Somebody, God gave me and said, Ross, you need a savior. <laughs> uh, lowercase, you're going to need some help. And I brought somebody perfectly suited for you. She's going to see things you don't see. She's going to feel things you can't feel. She's going to know things. She can be able to see ahead of you, include her, listen to her, incorporate it. And then here's the hard part. The ultimate call will rest on me, but it's a me, us. I, I do not know of any time where she said, absolutely not, Ross, I don't feel good about it. I cannot think of one time, there may be, but I can't think of one that she had a no, double no, and uh, we didn't do it. I listen to her. And that's the idea here. It's not that the ladies don't have an input and you're not supposed to be listening because the man is leading and you're supposed to be submitting to him and everything. No, somebody has to have the trigger. Somebody has to have the ultimate responsibility. You're in an operating room. The, the head surgeon, he's doing the, the thing. But somebody's over here, sir, you better, uh, the blood pressure, blood pressure. He'd be a fool not to listen to input, right? Somebody else is over here, oh, I think we've got a bleeding problem that you didn't see on this side of the table. So he's, oh, thank you for catching that, you know, clamp or whatever they say. I've watched doctor shows. <laughs> <laughs> right? But in the end, who has to make the final decision? It's him. You're in an airplane. You've got a pilot, you've got a co-pilot. The co-pilot says, hey, boss, we got a little boop, boop over here. Oh, yeah, yeah you know, up and in planes. <laughs> you got a boop, boop over here. Well, I, you know, what does that boop, boop mean? And so, you know, he's going to have to do something about it. In the end, who's responsible? Who's responsible? Eve is the one who ate first. She's the one who was deceived. And what does the Bible say? Because of one man's disobedience, he put the responsibility goes to the husband who ate first. God says, it's not yours to decide this matter. I place the responsibility on the man who ate with his eyes open, by the way, worse than being deceived. And husbands, that's how it is. You're going to have to call. You're going to have to make the call because God says, listen, you come together as equals. There's a lot of input over here. There's a lot of input here. And together, the husband will make the final call with the wife saying, I trust you. I trust you. And so we're going to talk a little bit more about that. So you, you know what's cool about, he goes back to the creation, to Genesis uh, chapter 2. And whenever he talks about gender roles in the in the New Testament, always goes to the creation. Why? Because the way God created us validates his expectation for the roles we play. And, and here it is. Here's how it was. Man came first, and he said, you're going to need some help. 
out of man, took the rib, created a woman who came after him, from him, and for him. So anytime you see 1 Corinthians 11, 1 Timothy 2, whenever you hear talk about a man as a teacher uh, or a pastor or a husband uh, leading his wife, they always go to creation. Now, that's a reason. But I love what Paul says. Listen to this. He says, it's true, Timothy. A woman was made from man and for man. But he says, but also, man is born of woman, so neither gender is independent of each other. So he's saying, look, guys, yeah, okay, we came first. They came from us to help us, right? We got that. But guess what? You exist because of a woman, right? You, you have a life because of a woman. That would be your mother, right? And so we are not independent. We don't have a one-up on the girls, right? Because uh, they have a one-up on us because they give us life. So he says, come on, we are created equal worth, different genders, different roles. Do them and come together and find God's blessing. Speaking of the creation story and man being taken uh, woman, that is, from man. Uh, little Johnny was in Sunday school, and he heard all about creation story, how God created everything, and he was fascinated, especially when it came to the time to put Adam to sleep and unzip his side, take out the rib, and make a woman, make his wife. And so a week later, mom's got him at the dinner table. Little Johnny just got to ate too much or something, but he had a, just a little tummy ache on his side. He's clenching his side and he's saying, oh man, I'm in pain. And mommy says, Johnny, what's wrong with you? You know, you've got a little tummy ache. And he goes, no, mom, I think I'm having a wife. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, it's cute. I can't wait for a grandson to say that. (laughs) Here's what he's saying. Ladies, My guys have a job to do. I've given them a role. It's from me. Um, The order design is rooted in how I made you and him. And the purpose is to provide and protect and watch over your best interest. I need you to voluntarily yield to my design for him and to you. Now, let's take a look at that word. That starts with the letter S. The, the word submit or submission or to be subject to uh, comes from a word uh, that means order. It means order. And so we see that God just wants order to flow in his home. Now, it's always about function, uh, never about worth. It's not about who's smarter or more able because we have a lot of capable wives in this congregation. Um, It's not that. God has just a a role, you know. Uh, The Lord Jesus, now speaking of submitting, and it's hard and nobody's picking on ladies, but somehow uh, wives feel picked on in this area. But honestly, who's your role model is the Lord Jesus Christ who never did anything out from under submitting himself to God the Father, though he was equal to God in every way. Philippians chapter 2 says he was equal to God 
in every way. Colossians chapter 2, verse 9 says, Jesus is the fullness of God in a human body. Conceived of the Holy Spirit. Behind those big brown eyes, you've got the God-man. And what did he do? John chapter 5, I never say anything that the Father has not told me to say. In John chapter 12, I never do anything that the Father has not told me to do. And then he wraps it up in the garden. Father, God, if there's another way, please take this cup from me, the sins of the whole world on my shoulders. If there's another way, find it. But nevertheless, not my will, but yours. He's saying, ladies, submit as unto me, as how I do it, right? And then furthermore, it's not just Jesus who has to submit, ladies. It's every man in this congregation. We've been submitting to authority since we were born all of our lives to our moms, to our dads, to our teachers, to our coaches. When we grow up, we submit to our professors. If they're women or men, we submit, we come under. We come under our supervisors, our, our, our commanding officers if we're in the services. Every single day, on occasion, we have to submit to CHP officer. <laughs> on occasion, some of us. We submit all the time. And generally speaking, we don't feel demeaned afterwards. We feel this is the flow. This is our responsibility. God has put these structures in place. But we submit every single day, every single day. There's no place that a man goes that he doesn't submit. We have to. We're called to that. But why is it, ladies, please help us understand that in the whole world of submission, that one sentence in one verse of one Bible, in one relationship, that just says, ladies, could you just come under his care? How could that one sentence generate so much angst? All right. Amen. <laughs> Don't answer it. I know it'll be hard, the Lord says, ladies, and so here I'm going to give you some help here. It's not going to be your natural inclination because you do realize what he told Eve. Ouch, after that incident, the Lord says to Eve, beloved daughter, listen to the consequences of what you just did. You stepped out from your husband's authority and took charge. And now, as a result, you're going to live with that propensity of taking charge over him. Unfortunately, Eve, oh, the roles will be reversed, and my design is he is leading you. But now that you did that, that's going to be ingrained in your nature. It's going to be a problem, and you're going to pass that on to your daughters. And this is sadly why God needs to command the daughters of Eve not to follow in Eve's footsteps because that did not work out well to come under his lead. And here's what she's gonna, he's going to say. Ladies, I know it's going to be hard. I know you're not going to feel like doing it a lot. And I know it's against your natural inclination in there. But I want you to do it as unto me. 
as unto the Lord. Now, there are some things you can ask somebody to do that the only way you're going to do it is for God, period. This may be one of them, all right? Uh, uh, There are things that are very hard to do, but if God says, would you do it for me? Would you do, that's what he's saying. Would you just trust me? Would you just trust that I know what I'm doing? I've got a guy who's going to bleed and die for you. Well, he should be. I want you to joyfully and voluntarily, it's not demeaning to you, not unthinking, mindless obedience to his rule, but really rather a grateful acceptance of his care. Do it in faith. Do it for my sake. Do it for the sake of the marriage. Be his cheerleader. Support him. Say encouraging things. Uh, You know, make him uh, sad to leave the home and happy to come back to the home. And husbands, make it not a joy for you to be gone from the home, but make your wife miss you and want you to come back. And everybody said Amen. amen. I thought I'd try to get both there, and I hope I did. Now, you're, I heard you. I heard one of you right now. Again. What a, my husband, listen, pastor, my husband. Well, listen, there are three exemptions, of course. I call them the three A's. Let's start with abuse. God has never called his ladies to be doormats or to put themselves in harm's way. And when you're abusive, um, listen, I asked a woman uh, three churches ago, give me an example she said, uh, it's abuse. He's abusive. Give me your best. I said, not three, four, and five. I want king number example of abuse. And I stopped her several times. No, no, I want, like, just bring it out to me. So she brings it out. She says two things. Number one, I like to go out on Friday nights and party with my, with my, my single girls my single girlfriends, and he just has so controlling, and I can't have a social life. I said, okay, what's the second one? (laughs) Just curious. And the second one was about overspending. Overspending, which she said, I know I have a problem, but did he have to tear up the credit cards? He tore them up like I'm a baby. That's abusive. Okay, well, then I heard about how much she was spending more than he was making and causing them to miss their rent payments and things like that. So he just one day went in and cut them all up and said, you can't apply for any more. And she said, and that's the abuse. So I can't go out on Friday nights clubbing and I can't write. So, okay, moving on. (laughs) If he slaps you, if he uses profanity, name calls, ever, if he touches you in aggression once, I'm sorry, I tell husbands and wives, I say one-time rule of a touch, an angry touch from an angry man, done, I say. I mean, if God gives you the grace, I, I say you've dissolved the the. You dissolve the vows, sir. The second way to dissolve your vows is adultery. So all bets are off if you've got a mistress. 
a secret thing going on with pornography counts as adultery. Jesus said, if anyone goes for it in their heart, totally, you've given yourself over to lust, and totally, and that's what pornography is, then, sir, you are an adulterer in God's eyes. Jesus Christ said that. Now, you have dissolved the vows, and she's free. So every time you think that you just have a porn problem, just know you're, A, you're an adulterer. B, you've given her grounds, biblical grounds, to divorce you. And C, by no means is she to come alongside and be your helper. And thirdly, wait, there's more. <laughs> uh, alcoholism or drug abuse. So the three A's. Uh, yeah, come on. You're, uh, you're a pothead, really? And she's supposed to listen to you? When are you high and when are you not? How is she going to know that? No, she's an exemption clause. It's called common sense, right? And, and the other thing is you want her to do something that's sinful. Hey, honey, I got this thing that we can do, make a little bit of money. It's not exactly legal. Oh, no. Oh, no. She's, she's got an exemption clause. Acts chapter 4, where they say, hey, no more preaching. Don't you know who we are with the Supreme Court of Israel? No more preaching in that name or we'll kill you. And Peter answers back and says, oh, let me see. Obeying you and your words or obeying God and his? Hmm, I wonder which we should do. And he says, we're going to obey God, not man. So we're, but there are lines. There are exemptions. But, and, and here, dear lady, please. What if my husband just not nice? He never says thank you. He doesn't know when we were married, you know. Uh, he looks at his ring every once in a while and says, I must be married, you know. Uh, and, and or, you know, I ask him, can you tell me you love me once in a while? He says, look at your ring there, right there. I, I said I love you there. So, you, you know, that's not very nice. That's called caveman, all right? It's prehistoric. It's not good, right? And don't hope to get any blessing from that. However, if he's a non-Christian and an unbeliever and he's just not a sensitive guy, those don't exempt you because you submit yourself. If it's, there's no harm to you, it's just hard and miserable at times. It's time to submit yourself to him and serve him and love him. First, Peter chapter 3 says, women, live, win your husband without words, without nagging him, uh, but by your uh, good behavior and your good deeds and your reverent and quiet spirit. And so there's no exemption for just not nice, not sensitive, uh, doesn't respond. I, I do my part, but he doesn't do his. You know what you do? You pray more. You serve more in the church. You sing more hymns. You, you, you ramp up that, and you suffer. You suffer. You enter the fellowship of Christ's suffering. Why? Listen, Christ suffered. Christ suffered because his bride, his spouse, didn't give him the time of day. You know what they did to him? And Christ never stopped to say, what about my needs? If Christ ever said, what about my needs? We'd all be uh, lost, right? And so here's a call just to say, you, you didn't marry a psychopath, most of you. <laughs> and, and most of you married a decent person. 
When they're not fulfilling your needs, it's usually, and listen, I'm wrapping things up here. It's usually not because they woke up and decided, you know what, I'm going to be a thorn in this guy's flesh today. They didn't do that. What happens is, is that we married broken people because we're all broken. And so what happens is, if she could be that for you, if she, if she could do that, if he could remember dates, if he could write a poem, he he's not going to write you a poem. Uh, he, he, <laughs> It's hard enough for him to write out. <laughs> Never mind. <laughs> a lot went in to who your spouse is. They're not waking up trying to be difficult. They have, oh, you, you listen to the stories in my office all the time, and my heart just like, oh, God, you got to love her. Her father was that way. Her mother, her uncle, she was traumatized at 18 in a dorm. And you just expect her to forget about those things. Those impacted who she is. And God said, I got just the right guy for you. He'll treat you nicely. He'll be kind. He'll be understanding. Because, because you've been traumatized. You've been broken. You never had that unconditional love. But I'm going to find you the husband who will not be all about what about me in this relationship. Sorry. <laughs> but he's going to be all about you because Christ is going to be in his heart and the Holy Spirit's going to make him other-centered and he's going to love you and hang on the cross for you. And I'm going to bring him to you and I want you to receive lovingly his care over you. And it works the other way around. The little boy got banged around by his dad, cuffed around all the time. Dad never said he loved me once. Not once. My parents never showed any interest in us. Never asked, how was your day? What do you want to be when you grow up? Nothing. That affected me. I didn't ever see my dad give my mom a gift one time. I never saw it. They just agreed, let's spend all our money on our kids. And they did. But I didn't learn how to be a husband that way. There are reasons we bring ourselves into these marriages, and it's not to give you a hard time. It's because, I don't know. Oh, I didn't know. I didn't know. I didn't see it. It didn't get imprinted in me. Be patient with me. Have mercy on me. I'm learning, I'm growing, I want to be that person, but it's not in me to be that way. I think you keep expecting me to do things that I should know or be things that I should be, but I, I'm broken, help me, have mercy. Both the husband and the wife are crying out to each other, I'm not the person I should be, I know, and I've got some inadequacies and I've got some fears and anxieties. Could you just love me the way I am and can we work together and I'll try to meet your needs and you try to meet mine? You, you put me first, I'll come under and I'll trust you. The way it should be is this beautiful orchestrated dance that each partner knows its roles, right? The husband leads, the wife follows in a beautiful dance. This is what we're closing with here. And, and the husband and the wife. My sons and daughter 
were a part of Norquist. Norquist is a ballroom dancing etiquette, beautiful thing for young people. There must have been 500 uh, kids in that uh, vet's hall there. And, and uh, my two boys uh, became dance instructors, and then they entered a competition. And our little PJ with Catherine Venard, who I didn't even know the Venards at that time, Mike and Jody's daughter, before she was married, obviously, uh, they were youngins, and they danced in a competition, and they took first prize. They were king and queen. And all those people, I was so proud of them. <laughs> when they put the Burger King crown on PJ's head, <laughs> I was like, that's my boy out there. He's the king. Well, listen, I said, PJ, how, how does she know uh, how do you guys, I mean, you plan back and forth and you've got a whole thing and you practice and uh, you, she wants to do this and you want to do that. No, dad, dad, I, she, I'm leading. I lead her. Well, what's her? How does she know what, dad, she knows from how I'm leading her how to follow. She doesn't do anything on her own. I, no, dad, I told you the first time. <laughs> That's PJ. <laughs> no, dad, I told you the first time. She can sense, we've practiced, she knows me, she's my dance partner, we've gone over the routine, she knows when I'm going to do what I'm going to do, and she follows me. I lead, she follows. We've talked a lot about it before, but ultimately, I'm leading, and it becomes a beautiful dance. Well, when you have both people leading, you end up in my office. <laughs> and it looks more like a wrestling match. You know, I think I have a picture. I don't know if you found it there. Did you find it at break? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, uh, do things change? I mean, I've, I've counseled them. <laughs> Only they're like 30 years older. And, and that's because somebody's not dying for his wife and putting her needs first. And she's not accepting the role to trust and come under and let him lead. We need to do it the Lord's way for his blessing. Amen. Amen. Put, the, put the other picture on. <laughs> yeah, that's a, that's a better way to end. Amen. Let's pray together. Oh, Heavenly Father, we just broke in. We just need you. <laughs> There's no such thing as a perfect marriage. And Lord, I pray that the, this conversation that we've had would engender peace and not cause problems, but that it would motivate and inspire people, both husband and wife, to lay down, lay down the issues and the things they're holding and to start fresh today. Maybe even take communion together and, and just to ask that the blood of Jesus wash all yesterday away and to renew a love that they had at the beginning and a new understanding of roles and ways to serve one another, to be a blessing for the sake of the kids who are watching and learning for the sake of the testimony to others who are watching 
a Christian testimony and for the sake of our own happiness. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand together. Closing song. You have been listening to The Rock Podcast. Our regular services are held on Wednesday nights at 6.30 and Sunday mornings at 8.30 and 10.30 a.m. in Santa Rosa, California. If you would like to learn more, please visit our website at calvarytherock.org.